Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, it's one of those days, Danny. One of those days where we put 125 minutes. Oh, wait, no. An hour and 25 in the can. And then five minutes after we record, massive news happens. And we have to record a little bit over the top of it. Magic Johnson announced his resignation in a tasteful letter that he ran through the PR department and made sure everyone in the organization no no actually he in fact just had an impromptu press conference at staples center to announce that he had resigned what was your initial reaction when you first heard about it well so how i heard about it was actually i i was watching games and wasn't checking twitter and then i saw somebody i you you mentioned you said to me well i guess we have to record tonight and i thought you were referring to steph curry turning his ankle and then I saw the absolute firestorm that had just erupted with everything. And my first thought, going back to, you know, a lot of times we connect these things to the personal, was just the idea of announcing to the press and to the world that you don't want to do the job anymore, but not telling the person who hired you, the person who gave you that authority. And I thought it was emblematic of the communication, the organizational disaster in many ways that the Lakers have been in and that ties in with Bill Orem's excellent piece that came out this morning long before this news was ever was ever known but it, it kind of all fits together I mean I'm, I'm sympathetic to Magic's situation you know if, if this is not the job that he wanted and it was preventing him from doing that very few people can turn down running an NBA team justifiably and say I would rather do something else and more power to him if that's the way he feels but doing it this way is just it just puts it, it just puts an amazing kind of capper on a ridiculous Lakers season. Yeah, and we talk a little bit more about that in the later section of the pod that we recorded before we knew that Magic was going to resign. The first thing that I thought was good for the Lakers. And it was going to be, it seemed, impossible for Jeannie to fire Magic after he had been her first hire. He had been the one who basically forced out Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss recommended that they had to go had talked a, a huge game and was a franchise icon and uh, of course was their close personal friends he clearly wasn't doing the job well he clearly wasn't working hard enough i think everyone really knew that those were the things that we were skeptical about when he was hired his working relationship with rob palinka by all accounts was not good and who knows what Polinka's fate will now be it doesn't seem like there's much of a groundswell for him to just take over and whoever 
whoever does take over especially given rob's reputation in the league is probably not going to be a buddy of his who wants to keep him on maybe just because of his relationship with kobe and being part of the laker family they'll retain some sort of titular role for him at least that's the hope that he doesn't take over if you're a lakers fan the personal component of this was really odd with him telling the press that he hadn't even told genie yet and essentially as he teared up saying that he lacked the courage to face her i do think though one advantage to the way he did it even though it was as you mentioned just so crazy and i highly doubt that this was some sort of three-dimensional chess move by him but the one advantage is at least he insulates genie from any implication that she forced him out or that he needed to be forced out he salvaged his pride when this summer that they were coming up on was going to be real difficult remember he said he would basically fire himself he if he didn't get a free agent this summer or a, a max free agent or whatever it was however you want to define success there but it didn't appear that they were going to get such a player and so maybe he would have had a lot of egg on his face maybe he saved himself from that i think ultimately he did the right thing for the organization and himself and his legacy by falling on his sword now as incredibly weird as it was any sort of statement or something like that could have given the impression that he was forced out in some way but doing it like this makes it appear that it was his decision and i don't doubt that it was and it, it, this is very difficult to grasp for all of us in the media and people who work in the NBA who just assume that everybody wants to keep their job and desperately clings to their job. And I don't think that was the case for Magic. It, and he didn't really cling to the job that hard when he was actually in it. But I do totally understand why he would be not as happy. You know, the stuff about, oh, he couldn't be an ambassador. He couldn't tweet and the tampering and having to worry about that. And he also vaguely alluded to backstabbing in some way. Uh, I can't remember whether that was during his first or second iteration of his press conference but it was probably going to end poorly for him it certainly seems like most nba executives are very stressed out and he has plenty of other stuff that he could be doing that he was very good at in retirement and he wasn't good at this and so i completely understand why he would want to move on there's also an allusion to the idea that he wanted to fire luke walton and the Luke and Genie are close and he didn't want to drive a wedge between them although Chris Haynes reported that Magic had in fact received permission to fire Walton if that's what he felt like he needed to do so no there, there may be a lot more here beneath the surface that will come out well no it won't because this Laker organization is utterly leak proof there we've also got conflicting reports on whether Genie really knew this was a possibility Brian Windhorst said on the podcast that he just recorded that Genie was given at least some impression that this was a possibility on the other hand Ramona Shelburne who we know talks to Jeannie regularly tweeted that nobody and I mean nobody in the Lakers organization had any idea this was coming that presumably would include Jeannie especially to repeat the word nobody um yeah it, it's certainly emblematic of how crazy all of this was but Jeannie Buss should be happy that she has a, another chance to do this right and we'll see whether the search immediately devolves into cronyism or whether they do a real search this time along those lines I mean we had talked before about you know the Suns job and how it probably wasn't going to be that great and the Pelicans job was more interesting and while there are some serious 
downsides and risks and pressures. I mean, I gave the Lakers a very rare 10 in my pressure scale for the athletic. I do an offseason preview series and I give a, I've, I've given very few 10s over the course of the years that I've had it. And they earned it because of all the, all the, the forces that are in play here, even before this, you know, having a lottery pick, having max cap space, having theoretically the assets due in a trade, but that depends on everything else. And so you have yeah, all having, that. Uh, very few years if any left of lebron james yes to work absolutely with. yeah and so the, the the time pressure of trying to succeed trying to succeed and thrive in the immediate you have all these all these things in play and it will depend on the person but i think for some this will be a very desirable job it is i mean you have to hit the ground running because a lot of these decisions are going to have to be made in the next couple months and you know prepping for the draft and pitching for agents building relationships all those sorts of negotiations conversations need to happen very very quickly but the opportunity to mold a team that has a high ceiling that has a lot of decisions to make is would be tantalizing and so i am very interested you talked about the idea of of cronyism or merit or something else is that they should have the interest of some very very good people should genie bus want to go in that direction because the lakers can spend it seems like they can spend kind of whatever they want to because of all the revenue that they generate and they have a a, an unquestionably great player when healthy in lebron james and so that's an amazing opportunity it's it's very different from the new orleans one incidentally the, the two people that if assuming somebody gets hired for the Lakers job, those two jobs who might be might have interviewees that are, end up negotiating with each other. Like that might be the way this works out. So I'm very interested in in how they make this decision, what they prioritize and how that affects the league landscape. Because while I still do not expect the Lakers to get the best of the best, I mean, I wonder theoretically if they get David Griffin, how that influences certain, let's say David Griffin takes the job, how that influences certain people's decision making and maybe willingness to do the Lakers. I'm guessing it doesn't change it that much, but it might. And yeah, so there are, there are a lot of ripple effects from this. And I agree with you that overall, though, while it there's some, you know, egg on the face of the Lakers as an organization just because of the awkwardness of this, it it's ripping a it's ripping a bandaid off in, in that you 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 know you deal with that and then you move forward. But also it it cures something that ailed them that I did not expect to be cured. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah, it also seems to me that whoever they hire needs to actually have carte blanche, both because the Lakers organization really needs an overhaul and because if you actually give that person the power, you're more likely to get a really qualified candidate. And perhaps that would even involve trying to poach some of the best guys from other teams and, and offering them a lot more money. You know, that's something that I think they really need to consider Yeah, as I well. mean, GM salaries are not capped, so you can, you can throw some serious money at it. And I'm sure there are people who would love that challenge. Absolutely. And my prediction, though, just based on what the history is, is that the search is going to get bungled as well. I hope that I'm prove wrong seeing lebron james out of the playoffs the lakers missing the playoffs for six years in a row certainly makes life a lot less interesting i haven't even had any lakers fans in my mentions this year telling me what a moron i am for 
underrating their team i mean life just isn't the same without that and i actually mean that i i think like the more people who are passionately interested in the nba the better and certainly having the lakers be good is good for the league and it's good for the people who cover it but there's no reason to believe that they're going to do a better job this time because the family way worked when dr bus was in charge and lakers exceptionalism and all that stuff and we thought jim bus and mitch kupchak were the problem and certainly they didn't do a good job but there's a lot more wrong there you know and it comes to actually being modern about analytics it comes to actually having processes in place in your organization it comes to strength and conditioning and training staff and just every aspect of an organization that perhaps a new gm one with experience building a culture and building an organization elsewhere could really bring to the table anything else to add on this here or should we talk a little bit about the playoff scenarios which we can now talk about since it's uh tonight's action has concluded no i I, i'm really excited to see what happens and it's such a huge decision for the organization and to a lesser extent for the entire league just depending on on what what elements of this offseason are are settled and which ones are not and speaking of settled versus not i mean the playoff picture is somewhat clarified though there is still a lot of a variance within it it's it was a a wild night in the league for a lot of different reasons you know Dirk and Wade each getting 30 in their last home games Dirk announcing his retirement but from the playoff picture I think the the place to start is with the result in Oklahoma City. The Rockets were ahead a vast majority of that game. Oklahoma City had a furious comeback, helped at the very end by a missed James Harden free throw, which would have put them up three with, I think, 10 seconds to go, and OKC did not have any timeouts. Instead, Paul George hits a three, Oklahoma City wins, and nothing is definite yet, two, three, four, but here are the basics. So if Denver wins, they get the two seed that that's that's there if denver and, and who it, do they who do they play well that depends on on the, the no, bottom no, i'm saying i'm saying tomorrow who do they play oh oh they play the minnesota timberwolves who and it looks like carl anthony towns is not going to play okay so they sh- you know if they take care of business they're okay houston's done they're at 53 then portland if they win and denver wins portland then moves into the three and knocks houston to the four because they win the one versus one tiebreaker however portland does not win the three team tiebreaker and so then that we can get into that but my expectation is that denver will win they're facing a team that doesn't have that doesn't have a ton of motivation denver obviously does and portland has a ton of motivation as well all three of those games are all both of those games happen at the same time so no team is going to get the benefit of of information and so i mean that's it's the houston result is especially huge for denver because denver had control of their own destiny and lost it earlier in the same night by losing to the utah jazz that was their second loss in a row and now they have that control back and so so they get to they get to go at it from this point and it was posited by many that denver deciding to rest basically their whole team and not only rest their whole team but then not play a bunch of guys who are playing well down the end so they could lose in portland over the weekend that that was a gambit to help the blazers get up to the three seed and it was also risky because they could potentially have lost the two seed to houston now that's not going to happen with that crazy okc comeback but what that gambit was for denver was high risk high reward it looks like the most likely outcome here as long as 
Portland wins against Sacramento and Denver wins against Minnesota, both of which seem pretty darn likely, you're going to have Golden State, Houston, and Utah, the three teams I would say are actually the best teams in the Western Conference going into the playoffs, have the the best point differential, and I, I think just the, the best talent. All those teams are going to be on one side of the bracket. And Denver, crazy as it is to say, should be favored to get to the West Finals even though I think of them as the fourth best team and they're going to play a Portland team without Yusuf Nurkic. Remains to be seen how well CJ McCollum is going to play in just a couple games back from his injury. Some might actually favor OKC. I mean, there would be another big winner if they can just win against the Bucks tomorrow. And that's probably a good transition into what the bottom of the bracket looks like. San Antonio, they play Dallas. Dirk Nowitzki is apparently going to play in that game. He confirmed today that he's going to be retiring. And But Dallas certainly has every reason to lose that game. Seems very unlikely that San Antonio won't win that one. The Clippers play a Utah team that is now locked into the five seed and has absolutely nothing to play for. So they are likely winners as well. And then, so it seems like the real variable is going to be Oklahoma City. And they play at Milwaukee. Is there any indication of whether Milwaukee, I mean, Milwaukee has no reason to try, but are they going to play their guys even a little bit, you think? I mean, it will be a back-to-back for Oklahoma City. My instinct is that is, Milwaukee is will not play their guys. Or, or anyone else is going to play? Well, we, the Oklahoma City guys are going to play. I have not well, heard about... Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I have not heard about Milwaukee. I mean, they have much bigger fish to fry. So I would guess I would guess that if their guys, their best guys play, it'll be briefly. You know, I don't think they're going to do the whole give it the college try type of an idea. Yeah, so basically, if now, if Milwaukee really wanted to look way down the road, they might say, well, if we beat OKC, they're almost certain to be the eighth seed. I mean, that that's really the inflection point. If OKC wins in Milwaukee, they are almost certain, or they will be the sixth seed. Correct. And if they lose, they will be the eighth seed and play against Golden State unless you also have a loss by one of San Antonio or the Clippers and those seem relatively unlikely it's certainly possible but and we've seen San Antonio lose on the last day of the season before although against much better competition so anything is possible and we see Dallas too when they weren't playing any of their guys have some inexplicable wins that have really hurt their draft positioning but it is looking like we'll probably get a 3-6 of Portland and OKC you have to say OKC probably going to be favored in that series with Nurkic out out and looking like unless san antonio loses that the clippers will be eighth the only way they get above eighth is if both of i'm sorry that's wrong the only way they get above eighth is if one of the two teams above them loses and obviously eighth is where you do not want to be seven is actually looking not bad right now six is not looking not bad right now so uh i don't think i got anything wrong there but basically okc milwaukee seems like the big game tomorrow that we'll need to be focusing on yeah i i would agree with that and i'll just do briefly in the east the top five seeds are already set and so the question marks are are at the bottom they're not as as severe the shorthand is if charlotte wins and detroit loses then charlotte gets in charlotte plays orlando so the steve clifford bowl and detroit plays the knicks the more suddenly frisky knicks and detroit had that you know near loss in the game against memphis which would have why why are they frisky because they beat the bulls yes uh yeah did you look at the roster for that bulls team (laughs) i was i was mostly being tongue-in-cheek but yeah i mean but but the knicks they have no incentive to lose so I i think that does but they also aren't good so you have those two things running together charlotte needs both both of those to happen and then 
absent one specific scenario, Brooklyn and Orlando are most likely the six and seven, and then the order just depends on which teams win and which teams lose. If both win, then it's Brooklyn, and then if Orlando wins and Brooklyn loses, then Orlando gets the six and Brooklyn gets the seven. And then there's just there's just one hypothetical where Detroit gets the seven, Orlando gets the eight. All right, well, tomorrow we'll be back. Oh, wait, no, I don't have to wrap this up because we have like another hour and 20 minutes after this. So we're going to commence that right now. All right, good to have Danny back today. We need to catch up on some news that's piled up. Not a ton going on, really, with the playoff races here. So we're doing an early record. This is before Tuesday's action. If anything major happens tonight, we'll do a little addendum here on the end, but hard to imagine necessarily what that would be. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, a little bit different of a tenor with Henry Abbott. If if you don't know him, he's been out of the writing game for a while. First, he was an editor for ESPN, and then he was on sabbatical. But now he's relaunched his site true hoop he's really the original nba journalist that really connected with non-traditional forms of media and he still has some great opinions we also talked a lot about just general career advice for people who want to be media professionals so definitely a little bit different not as much hardcore basketball talk on that one but i hope you'll give it a listen i certainly found it an entertaining conversation to be a part of but let's get started here before we hit the news and just look back on some more of our early predictions we did the over under stuff so we won't talk about the win totals as much here when we made these predictions we based on who we thought would deserve to win it so really the comparison is in our awards that we just did compared to what's in these predictions so good afternoon uh, mr larue anything stick out to you and we had a number of interesting questions that we went through here but anything stick out to you just in terms of the nature of our thoughts before the season and what some of the big changes were well, so I, I think that some of the going through my predictions document, which I didn't look at between pretty much after we made it until this week, I think some of the big storylines I got right, which is pretty cool. Like I, there were a few things that we'll go through that really surprised me that I was happy about. And then the things that I was wrong about, I've been more persistently aware of, you know, like getting Sacramento really, really wrong. You know, like that, that's something that comes up a couple of different times. But the, the arc of kind of who was going to be rising, I think I got a couple of those right. And then, you know, some of it was also just which teams got hurt. And so some things stemmed from that. Yeah, I missed big time on Brooklyn, who I had for 30 wins. And I apologize to everyone who's ever lived in Brooklyn, Kenny Atkinson, my own mother, anyone who listened to the show for not mentioning Kenny Atkinson at all during the Coach of the Year section of the pod on Sunday. He was in my notes. I just missed him for some reason. No, he certainly should have been right up there in consideration with that group that I discussed. Uh, But yeah his coaching job they finally had enough talent that the way they play shooting a lot of threes trying not to give up efficient shots even without elite talent on their team and also they had some pretty good luck especially early in the year remember they were 8 and 16 at one point and then they reeled off a huge winning streak and then they hovered around 500 and a little bit above it most of the rest of the year and we thought maybe that the fact that they had their pick for the first time in forever might drag them down a little bit that turned out to be totally wrong uh that that was definitely my biggest miss i would say on anyone in the east i think we both had the top five teams in the east correct which you know didn't take a genius there and we also both had the bottom four teams in the east correct although of course the order was a little bit off on those teams to be sure 
Yeah, and I so I ended up with six of the eight Western Conference playoff teams. The the two that I did not have in were my nine and or were my nine and ten, the Clippers and the Spurs, respectively. And then in the East, I had depending on how the results turn out, either five or six, probably five of the eight. And then my biggest miss there, I had nine, ten, and then or I had Orlando. I think I had them eleven. So you know, not too far, not not too bold. Though the East, in many ways, was easier to predict because we knew those bottom four teams didn't really have much of a chance some would have said that the Cavs maybe had a chance but um yeah that's I guess that's true yeah New Orleans and the Lakers were the big misses in the West and Sacramento and I guess you could say the Spurs I had I had the Spurs at 41 wins and they're obviously going to be well above those after the Murray news I actually downgraded the Kings from 24 wins to 23 because of the weird way that Jaeger was coaching in the preseason with when he was playing like Bagley at the two and that obviously turned out to be wrong as well so one of the questions that we had was who are the championship contenders before the season and i had four teams golden state houston boston and toronto that's it would all would you say all of those teams still qualify i guess houston is still the favorite to get to the west finals so you would have to put them maybe in there yeah i i would say i'm still a believer in the celtics capability of getting there the you know we'll have to see whether it actually materializes in the playoffs and obviously you have to add the bucks in. i mean that that's a pretty clear thing but yeah i would say all four of those teams are are there granted some of it might be you know we we were both higher on the celtics than what it turned into for them but the reasons we were high on them haven't really abated it's just that other things have come into play yeah and houston certainly will be massive underdogs against the warriors but there could be an injury they've got some explosive capability with what harden can do and, and i think they would would be in it against anyone out of the east maybe milwaukee has played them so well you might wonder there so yeah milwaukee was really the one that we missed it and we were much higher on milwaukee as we'll see getting into some of these other categories but we just weren't even high enough it, but it, it seemed crazy to predict anything that won 44 games getting up to 60 without any major superstar additions and we had both had i think golden state houston and boston toronto my prediction was that toronto would make the finals and golden state would beat them in six that might actually end up being what i still pick i think i might still pick that when we do our official playoff predictions i had the warriors over the celtics and i feel less good about that than you do about the warriors over the rockets or raptors sorry and that's for good reason another question that we had more likely golden state versus boston or the field and i took the field did you also take the field because i was picking toronto obviously it made sense to pick the field i I don't have my answer here but i would assume that i did i mean that i I wasn't so sold on the celtics above everybody else yeah and then another question that we had is more likely this year a golden state title or the field i went with the field i went with the warriors yeah i would now go with the warriors i think a big part of my thinking was either age-related performance decline or injuries they actually go into the playoffs now healthier than they have been the last two years and they could still have some injury issues but they've navigated this much time and have looked good enough especially down the end here that i would probably have to go with them and also another thing too is just that the rest of the west is looking a lot less intimidating than maybe we thought i thought houston would look a lot better than they have and then another question was we asked each other to put a percentage on whether kd would be on the warriors next year i said 60 percent chance he would be on the team what did you have 
I do not see my answer to this question. Um, okay, maybe so, maybe I only I was the only one who did it, but I probably did it on the pod, but I didn't go back and re-listen. Well, okay, so what would you rate that percentage at right now? Twenty, fifteen. Oh, jeez. And I have 15%. no so I, I I have no sources here, but I mean people what, who. What, well, what is that based on? Just like oh, the, his his entertainment company like opened offices in New York and and stuff like that. Yeah, and and conversations which with people who 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 have more connections than I do, that sort of thing, and public reporting, obviously. As it, well. it certainly seems to be like everyone is assuming that it's going to happen. My thought before the season was, I figured if the Warriors won the championship, I just couldn't see him leaving a team that had won three championships in a row and i feel less good about that now but i I still think that that has some weight there's also an idea that decisions like this with free agents and businesses that are as big as KD or LeBron almost have to get made, you know, six months beforehand. So I don't know. I, I would say it's below 50%, but probably higher than some other people might say. I guess I, I would say maybe I have it at like 40% right now. And I also can't figure out whether it's more likely he would stay if they win or if they lose. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea on that point. I, I guess them winning would... Uh, Ethan made this point that perhaps if he is able to finally rest that title of best player in the game over the course of these playoffs and look with LeBron not making it if the Warriors win again I think especially uh, unless they go up against the Bucks in the finals and Giannis just goes completely crazy in a losing effort most people will probably be saying it's KD as the, the best player unless Steph also finally wins finals MVP and goes crazy himself and I think it's more likely that KD will win finals MVP than Steph so maybe he finally gets that recognition if I didn't have this feeling that the decision hadn't already been made i probably would be giving the warriors a better chance but um okay most valuable player i'm feeling pretty good about this i said Giannis Antetokounmpo number one james Harden number two and that's what i voted for myself and i think in fact or voted quote unquote since i don't actually have a vote but uh in fact i think that's how it's going to end up is uh Giannis and Harden i had Giannis one i'm surprised that we both had that i i, I was ha- i was surprised that i had it we, I was, we were was, surprised at the time too actually yeah okay because we do we always do this stuff independently then i had lebron second steph third Harden fourth and anthony davis fifth and depending on some health stuff i mean i was reading reading bill orham's piece and i was remembering that like when lebron got hurt on christmas he was i mean th- the season has changed so much since then but i mean he was in the mvp conversation as nascent as it was at that time and so you know well it, it, it would have been very different i don't think he would have won i think harden would have been well above him on an expected value way basis for where the lakers ended up just because harden's been harden was so much better this season than i thought he would be i used one of my favorite words nice um yeah my thought on harden was why is he gonna be so much lower he's gonna carry this huge burden again he's not at an age where he's gonna drop off houston's gonna be really good interestingly enough the fact that houston was bad and then he made them solid again seems to have added to his candidacy for some to some degree so that part wasn't necessarily correct then i had steph curry number three and if he had played the whole season i probably would have had him number three Uh, as it turned out i ended up having kd number three the guy we completely missed on i think uh, at least for me was paul george Uh, he had had a really down year he was coming off a knee surgery and uh, he really uh, had an awesome year especially before he hurt his shoulder and then ad yeah big surprise he isn't on there because he asked for a trade midseason which i don't think everyone thought he might leave this 
season but it seemed like he was going to at least play things out but the fact that the pelicans hit rock bottom so early i think there were like six games under 500 when he made that trade request no one really saw that coming either coach of the year i we often talk about how like it should go more often to who we feel are the best coaches in the league so that kind of deserves list was the standard people who i think are the best in the league but then it was kind of there was a separate category and he shouldn't have been in a separate category but i said Budenholzer would win it seemed pretty clear considering or seemed reasonable considering the expected improvement of the Bucks without that change in personnel, the upgrade over below replacement coach, all of those elements. I had Quinn Snyder also in that category, but I don't count that as a win because I, I thought he would win it because of the narrative, not that he would do the best job and he has done the best job. Yeah, I, in theory, we're supposed to be predicting who we thought it would do the best coaching job. And we I had Bud also, so we can pat ourselves on the back there. Snyder, I had number two as who would deserve it. And you know, if they... If I think the Jazz getting off to their typical slow start, in part due to the schedule, maybe torpedo his candidacy. Nick Nurse as well. I should have, uh, and I thought he'd do a really good job. And I think he has, given the spotty availability of his players. Also mentioned Doc Rivers. He was my number four, and because it seemed to me, I was predicting that the Clips would exceed expectations. It seems like he's going to be a top three guy. And I also said that I did not think Brad Stevens would be in the conversation, and uh, that is correct. He was not. Uh, this was an interesting one. First coach to be fired this is one i got right last season with earl watson not that that was super Bowl, oh, yeah, but yeah, i got it right like a weekend your, your greatest prediction ever it, it's it's on the list and then but this year real real wrong with dave yeager he, oh yeah I, I, that's I who thought, i had too yeah because there was the the conflicts with management thought that if the kings got out of the block slowly they could go in a different direction and i i did include Ty Lu in my other contenders category some of those look prescient some of them don't like that so i'll just say what that group was that group was mike malone scott brooks Ty Lu, Luke Walton, and Billy Donovan. And, you know, Ty Lu ended up being the first coach fired. Luke Walton was on the hot seat basically the entire season. Scott Brooks and Billy Donovan had, you know, kind of shaky seasons in their own way. And then Mike Malone, obviously, things went really well. And the reason why I had Malone there, despite picking Denver to do incredibly well this season, was the idea that if they didn't, he would be the one who faced the brunt of that damage. Yeah, I thought it could be him too, because remember, he didn't actually agree to that extension until a few weeks into the season. I thought that he could be in danger, but then I looked at their early season schedule and it was clear that they were going to start strong, which in fact they did. And so that helped. I also had the dumbass prediction that there could be zero in-season firings. Uh, yeah, that that was wrong as of six games into the season with uh, Ty Lue. Uh I also said that Tom Thibodeau and Fred Hoiberg could be on the hot seat. That, that turned out to be right. Both those guys went downhill. And Terry Stotts, remember there were those rumors last offseason that he could be on the move and Portland never really was in any kind of danger there. Defensive player of the year? I had Rudy Gobert number one, Joel Embiid number two, Kawhi Leonard number three, Leonard's diminished defensive impact this year was a surprise to me. I thought that if he played regularly, that that was the thing that wouldn't be shaky. And it ha- you know, it, it's been worse. We'll see in the playoffs whether that was just him pacing himself or it's something something different and Embiid you know a little bit of a disappointing year for him just because moving into this conversation more cleanly I I had him on an all-defensive team but barely not in the not in the top three for defensive player of the year yeah the guys we didn't see coming Paul George Giannis and remember the Bucks were a horrendous defense 
Although much better when he had played in previous years. Uh, but I think Gobert is probably going to win it. He deserves it. That's who we picked. I also mentioned, which turned out to be right, that Draymond, I didn't trust his health. He was on a minute's limit. He had missed a bunch of time in camp with the knee issues. And it really took about two, three months of the season for him to get healthy and find his groove on either end of the floor. Uh, we mentioned Clint Capella as a possible breakout candidate and Giannis as well. Uh, but Capella went the opposite direction. He's been better now, but he, he didn't start too well sixth man i had yeah yeah, go ahead sorry. sorry yeah i had lou williams then Eric Gordon and Dwayne Wade. And then I also mentioned like if Jabari Parker and Terry Rozier were eligible, Lou Williams is the guy that I picked to deserve the award. I expect him to win it as well. I think Gordon, I haven't checked it. I think he started too much to qualify. Yeah. So, so he, what he wasn't in it. And, and then Wade, it's been, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily been like a disappointing year for him. It's just, he wasn't in that conversation. Yeah. I, Lou Williams is my pick. I think he is almost certainly going to win it. He was our pick, uh, I think as well. Tyreek Evans, was by number two and Tyreek has been really bad this year 48% true shooting a little better defensively but he's struggled with knee issues struggled to fit into McMillan's system I had Josh Hart as my number three and Hart was another guy who really just struggled with injuries Terry Rozier had a a bad year Julius Randle remember back when he was gonna be coming off the bench and this awesome Nikola Miritich Anthony Davis front court was gonna lead the Pels yeah also another amusing one i did a list of who i thought would actually win the award in real life and my number three pick was carmelo anthony ah <laughs> uh, good times good good times rookie right. the, yeah. rookie of yeah. the year i i had luca one eight and two trey young three bagley four jaron jackson five eight and i could the idea behind Aiton, even though i wasn't the biggest fan of him in terms of like the defense and everything else was that he would put up counting stats he absolutely has put up counting stats this year but luca and trey both just had such good years that they are they are alpha and and beta presumably luca one trey two i'm you know jaron being on the list that that worked out reasonably well and i thought bagley would put up stats too and he has as well it's just that and i I think it's very possible that ayton or bagley gets third even though neither of them did for us yeah i had luca number one wendell carter was my number two and carter did play well defensively but disappointed on offense and only 44 games but he wasn't anywhere close to being in this position trey though he was number two on my board i thought he was going to suck this year and he was well on his way after the first month and a half or so and that he just broke out and he's going to be a deserving number two but he got it much more quickly than i thought he would sophomore of the year let's save that actually for when we do the rest of our awards most improved player interesting i actually had the man who would deserve it and i I, we have second year players ineligible at least i do i actually had Giannis as the guy who would deserve it so i i wish i wish i'd gotten stronger on the bucks because i was very high on them and just not high enough i picked them for 51 wins i kind of hedged that but then i was like oh all all these individual awards are gonna win and i should have realized like well if you're picking all this like maybe you should pick them for 55 wins instead of 51 or 60 yeah i i wish i had had Giannis on my list i i did not i had a bunch of just kind of it was a season that i had trouble figuring that out one that i'm happy i put on there even though he didn't have the greatest year was jeremy lamb i do think he's had somewhat of a bounce back year and yeah it it, i hoped i hoped exum would be in the would be in there but but that didn't end up happening obviously and then i would say the one i got the most wrong what well so there were two dennis smith and torian prince Uh, i both those uh, dennis smith i guess was the second year guy so he wouldn't he wasn't functionally eligible under our restrictions but torian prince was and he didn't have yeah, but we thought he would get a lot better yes zach levine was also so considering how bad he was last year i think actually where he was was very much improved 
and finally executive of the year we thought Masai Ujiri I think we both had him am I remembering correctly yeah yeah we both did and that's who we ended up picking so yes that's uh that one it was it's... should I should I mention who I predicted would win the award because I did I did that as well for my own amusement oh yeah and it, it is less prescient the the dynamic duo of Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka Oh man, and I, I, gotta, and I, I gotta finish that Orem piece. By the way, that's uh, oh, it's it's uh, it's really really well done. I mean, the, and yeah, and there's there there are details in it. So you know, there's a fair portion of that story because the Lakers are a, a very heavily reported team. There are a lot of details that weren't new, but there are specific things like the Jabari Parker for KCP trade that oh was agreed God. to by everybody but KCP because he had that implicit no trade clause. By the way, he signed with the Lakers. That you know, like that that. That is a massively concerning I, i've said this before that if if one piece of information that i would love to have that we basically will never have access to are the trades that teams initiated that didn't happen because we we only get a small portion of the information about how teams value players and like i'm really happy that's out there because now i can properly calibrate what i think about this front office as a talent evaluation so playoff time is here and you know what the best way is to get those playoff tickets it's seeking They've got more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the app store they pull millions of tickets from all over the internet they rate each deal on a scale of one to ten and they display them on an interactive seat map so it's easy to find what you're looking for look for those big dark green dots and release some endorphins as you know you got a good deal as you buy the ticket look out for those red dots they're a little overpriced but you know the general area you want to sit in just click on the green dot buy the tickets and you're done you can trust them at least in my experience i know danny finds their algorithm impressive as well he used to work in the ticket business so I think you can trust that green dot. Just click on it and you're done. And you don't have to go to any other sites either. Save yourself a ton of time and money. Every ticket is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence. There are all these other ticket companies that have been around forever. They don't care about making the experience easier for the customer. That's what SeatGeek does. Their competitors have started trying to copy them and failing, in my opinion. And if for some reason you haven't used SeatGeek yet, you can get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase with our familiar promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember because we talk about CAPSPACE all the time in the program. I say if for some reason you haven't used them yet because they've actually been a sponsor since the summer of 2015 the first sponsor we ever had on this show so we appreciate their support we hope that you will return that support in kind by using that cap space code to get ten dollars off your first purchase all right so let's get into the rest of our awards now in our self-created categories let's start with this one i actually did a twitter poll asking who you would have as sophomore of the year among donovan mitchell ben simmons De'Aaron fox and jason tatum who i just i don't think he's really a candidate but i threw it in there just to see if anyone would vote for him and it got picked up by a bunch of people in philly and retweeted so i'm not sure that the results were particularly reliable but just interesting to see what the wisdom is here ben simmons had 51 percent De'Aaron fox was around 35 percent the last time i looked at it this morning and mitchell had like 11 percent and then there's like you know a few stragglers there for tatum if you look, though, at these statistical resumes, there really is very little difference between these three players. Donovan Mitchell, 58th in RPM, highest offensive RPM of this group, 58th in PIPM. Ben Simmons, 63rd in RPM, which actually is an increase from where he was a bit ago, 75th in PIPM. De'Aaron Fox, 57th in RPM, 60th 
in PIPM. And then Tatum, just so you know, 102nd in RPM. He, he was down there by a bit. So very, very close here. Who did you end up going with, Danny? I ended up going with Foxes, kind of having the best year. That was more the way I thought about this, not who I would choose as a player moving forward. I you, I mean, I could see somebody doing it the other direction. That's how I interpreted it. I went, I went Fox 1, Mitchell 2, Simmons 3. And, you know, the, as you said, the statistical, statistical resumes are pretty sim- similar. Fox also benefits from having a more consistent role as the tone setter and primary ball handler in his offense. Mitchell, due to injuries and a variety of other factors, has bounced around a little bit more. And Simmons, it's remarkable because even though he doesn't shoot jump shots at all, he still has the highest true shooting in this group. And his usage rate is pretty similar to Fox with similar passing numbers as well. But, you know, there is there is a dissipation of value for Simmons offensively because when he does not have the ball in his hands, there are a lot of other things the teams can do. And of course, there are ways they can handle it when he is on ball. So yeah, I went Fox Mitchell, Fox Mitchell Simmons, but it could go, you know, Mitchell Fox Simmons or pretty much any configuration of those three can be justified based on the seasons they had and kind of also how you value what these guys provide defensively. Whereas like Simmons, you know, Simmons, I would say is the best defender of this group, but he is inconsistent. And so when he is not on, then that becomes more of a detriment. It's been said that Simmons stagnated and perhaps even regressed defensively. Certainly as a playmaker defensively, steal rates and block rates were both down. Still turns it over a ton, 19% turnovers. That's about the same. Usage is about the same. He got more rebounds this year and got to the foul line more. That was the biggest difference and shot it a little better from the foul line. He's up to 60% instead of 56%. That was the biggest difference in his statistical resume this season. Also played more games with Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, another perimeter creator. So it's quite possible that perhaps his numbers would have looked better without those guys. But I think when you look at his defensive RPM, that's lower. The on-off for him this year, yes, he has his minutes staggered largely with Joel Embiid, but he only had a 2.3 net rating for the year. That is the worst of the Sixers' big four. I'm not counting Harris in this, but so Redick, Butler, Embiid, and him. That's by far the worst of those four guys who've been there since uh, November. And part of that is the, the fit of the pieces that are around him part of it is that he's had to play with some very miserable bench units when he's had to be the guy running the show but it's also that he's really really hard to fit around and i thought he took some strides in his post game this year some strides in his finishing it was a little more physical got to the line like i think he's improved a little bit but the impact numbers are not really there and when you look at how hard it is to fit around him i i didn't go with him a lot of people are like well hey he's the one i'm gonna go with the all-star well that's utterly reductive number one the other two guys are in the west and number two uh you're gonna count on the opinion of the eastern conference coaches who are spending 15 minutes filling out this ballot and the same coaches who picked d'angelo russell i thought simmons was a deserving all-star but the end of that east all-star group this year was pretty miserable so i actually ended up going with donovan mitchell very difficult for me to choose between him and fox and I ultimately went with Mitchell just because I thought he was the largest part of his team's offense in this group. And, you know, I think it's pretty equal defensively between he and Fox. 
So, I, I, again, I, I really struggled. I've been higher on Mitchell and lower than Simmons and many. I had Mitchell as my rookie of the year last year. And what is your opinion on Mitchell vis-a-vis Fox? I, I know you did have Fox there. Yeah, I, I think they have similar similar resumes in terms of the efficiency. You know, both guys that are below, below average true shooting. Mitchell takes more threes than Fox does. Fox gets to the line a lot more. I really like how much Fox gets to the line. And as you said, defensively, they're, they're pretty close. The thing that I, I like the most about Fox is that he really helps give the positive parts I mean and there are many of them in a team that was so successful of of Sacramento's offensive identity and that is kind of, to an extent that is an intangible but also it is not because you can see like the share the share of possessions that Sacramento plays in the half court is I believe it's the lowest in the league or it's close to it and a lot of that is De'Aaron Fox because it's not like they have all these other ball handlers and all these other guys they have a lot of guys that can run but he he does a lot of that work and it's very possible that Mitchell in a in a different situation maybe even in a less egalitarian one though he gets up way more shots than De'Aaron Fox does could look better and he and and Mitchell also had had a rougher start to the year I think he's been better than he was you know early on so yeah I it's it's a tough call I mean it and if we were saying this about who would you rather have moving forward I would I would have to spend a lot of time thinking about I guess that was our, our prospect rankings and all those sorts of fun things but yeah I just I just think Fox had the better year overall it was close but I I won't Fox yeah, I'm not going to argue there, and I would be very torn on whether I would have Mitchell or Fox as the better prospect going forward as well. I think when we did it back in December, Mitchell was really struggling. Fox it was probably at his apex. And Simmons, I think I it's not even so much that he is a different player that I've just... The more I watch him, the more I come to the conclusion that the fit issues around him, and also the fact that he wasn't as much of a defensive impact this year, have made me a little lower on him. I probably would have both Fox and Mitchell above Simmons as a prospect. And those guys are pretty close to the same age. I think Fox is a year younger. But I probably would have both Fox and Mitchell above Simmons at this point in time. Um... All right, player who most beat regression this season. My preseason prediction was LeBron James, and who was your preseason pick on this one? Oh, that was my preseason pick was LeBron, and then he had you know a different type of season with. I mean, this was the first year that the injury bug really caught him, and I I don't know if if that hadn't happened, I think it would have it would have been about the season I expected. Maybe it's hard to tell. It's such a counterfactual. And for the player I picked who most beat regression was Mike Conley for the for the actual season because Conley it was not only the the age related regression i think he's had a very good year but also the possible regression due to injury and health and all that kind of stuff i I just think he had a really nice year overall and he didn't have the slow start that somebody like chris paul did chris paul you know had that even though he's looking better now and maybe you know if we were if it was just the judging him in april it might be different but i mean Connolly had a better overall had a had a better overall season than than chris paul did yeah i interestingly enough we didn't compare notes on this but we had the whole league at our disposal i went with Connolly as well at age 31 had the second best season of his career he not only was getting older but only played 12 games a year ago and was shut down and had to have that heel surgery so pretty impressive second highest true shooting of his career second highest pr and, and actually at 29 16-17 was the best season of his career a year that the Grizz uh, did make the playoffs and then lost in six 
to the Spurs, although Conley had an awesome series. And I th- I want to say it was pretty close to the Grizz actually outscoring the Spurs in that series when Mike Conley was on the floor and they just said no. It was Aaron Harrison who was the backup, who's now out of the league. Um, yeah, that's interesting that we picked the same one here. Who was your preseason pick for biggest surprise team? Always a hard category to do because you can't really surprise. You don't predict who's going to surprise yourself because that's the whole point of predictions is to see what you get <laughs> right. But I so so I framed this in terms of to most people. And for me, that was the Utah Jazz. I was extremely bullish on what they were going to do this year and then had the Bucks as my alternate. That was definitely closer to right. I, depending on how you perceive surprise, for me, so for the the actual winner, I, I went with Sacramento because that came out of nowhere for me whereas the Bucks, it was a possibility it's just that they 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 went to like the furthest degree whereas Sacramento I didn't think there was close to a 500 team in their period and so for me they're the biggest surprise team of the year I picked the Bucks and I stuck with the Bucks as my biggest surprise team obviously some subjectivity there I'm not sure about this I have to double check I think the Bucks actually improved their net rating this year more than Sacramento and I think they improved their win total as well it was in Sacramento it was 27 wins last year right so which they got very lucky to get there um but the bucks went from what 44 to it's going to be 61 or 62 probably or or 60 or 61 i I will mention that i also included because another way of calibrating this is the biggest year-to-year improvement so i went my prediction minus what they had the year before and that's a boulevard of broken dreams memphis the Mavericks and the Lakers. Oof. So that's 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 worth thinking about next year of like who you give the biggest. Per- I mean, granted, the Lakers would have if they were remotely healthy, they would have been up there just because they were they were a lot better. But um, yeah, I mean that's it's kind of worth keeping an eye on. And Dallas, you know, that was the whole like they underperformed their win total and then they just did it again. Sigh. Biggest surprise player before the season. Oh no! I picked Eric Bledsoe, which uh, I thought he actually deserved to make the All Star team in the East. It's also kind of annoying that the All-Star team is selected halfway through the season, for poster- but that it matters for posterity when it's basically whether you made the All-Star team is determined solely by but by essentially half of your career, just your first half of every year. Although there also is an argument that the first half of the year is more representative of who's good than the second half of the year because so many teams are tanking and developing and stuff. Um, but yeah, Bledsoe isn't who I ended up going with in real life. But then the rest of my other three picks were atrocious. James Dennis never looked good, struggled with myriad health issues, essentially got dumped to Philly, and now he's hurt again. We thought that he was going to be starting for Houston. Actually shot it better from three, but did not look comfortable shooting it, and uh, the athleticism, the defense just wasn't there. Also, Josh Hart, he just got killed by injuries. And I also said that Hassan Whiteside would be better than many anticipated this year. <sighs> Yeah, I had five. I had five, and four of them don't look good. My number one was Torian Prince. Nope. And then my others considered Jetty Osman played a lot, but didn't live up to. I think, ex- I think he he clearly took a step forward. He took a step forward, but like in terms of biggest surprise players, he's right, not really no. in that mix. Gallinari, I thought was going to be way better than people thought. That's the one I will take a take a victory. Oh yeah, that was great because I thought I thought just the idea that if he ever stayed healthy, he was way better than people thought, and that that's been true. Josh Hart sidetracked injuries James Ennis you went over that already and then so my actual picks for the year so I went this is kind of along the same lines of what I did by picking Sacramento over Milwaukee as my surprise team my surprise player is Paul George 
I didn't think he had this in him. You know, I should have. I, I, I acknowledge that, you know, like, especially with the three-point volume, that was something he had done before. But the the high-leverage shots, also putting up a defensive player of the year contention season while shouldering that offensive load, that was really impressive to me. My other surprise ones, De'Aaron Fox. I mean, he's just been just so improved this year. If we were, if we considered second-year guys for most improved, he'd be heavily in that conversation. Thomas Bryant, I just didn't think he was much of anything. I remember even going back to seeing him in college, and I just didn't think much of it. And he's, you know, I would say it's been to an extent more about opportunity than him really, especially because he's better offensively than defensively. So that's a little bit different. Vooch, huge here. I mean, he's, yeah, he's he been was, better. He was my pick. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Like that, it's the same logic for, as, as the Paul George one. And then Blake Griffin has had a better year than I thought he would have this year. And that's not as much about capability as much as it is about just thinking that he wasn't going to put it together. And he's been unfortunately dealing with some health stuff towards the end of this year. And that sucks. But overall, he's been better than I anticipated most disappointing team I said versus their over under it would be New York and uh yeah that's looking pretty good but then I said just in terms of people's perceptions San Antonio and for a month and a half of the season I was looking right and then they went completely insane in December and obviously we'll make the playoffs I, I also mentioned Chicago or Cleveland as candidates those uh, both I think really disappointed people and then uh Boston and Philly in the regular season I think uh Boston in particular obviously a has disappointed although i didn't see this level of an implosion coming i i I said i'm not picking it but i see that risk for those teams and uh i think even philly you might say has had and they've had such an inconsistent season but overall 2.6 net rating i think you would look at that as disappointing for that team although it's obviously been a far different cast of characters than we were evaluating at the start of the year i listed two teams as my as my potential picks one of them looks good one of them does not cleveland yeah i mean i just the the theory of the their defense holding up and just the talent level and the rest of the team we both thought they were going to rely heavily on colin sexton even if he didn't necessarily start the year because they had george hill and then orlando which was wrong i i mean dj augustine i think i mean vooch is a huge part of that but also dj augustine i think their offense being better than i expected they put it together defensively under clifford and they, they've had a really nice year so yeah i would say they they clearly defied obviously they defied disappointment but they would be more on the like pretty high on the surprise side and then my pick for most disappointing team is the lakers this was a possibility i mean Bontemps got it the most right we acknowledged the possibility that the pieces weren't going to fit together and there could be turmoil they had a lot of guys that wanted big roles and weren't going to get them just because there are only so many minutes to go around but the degree to which the kind of the on-court problems and the off-court problems have manifested was beyond what I expect yeah I went with the Lakers as well pretty obvious there and most disappointing player I have written down here can we still say Andrew Wiggins (laughs) and a few others that I mentioned Rajon Rondo he was horrendous Josh Jackson, another really bad year for him. Markel Fultz, oops, yeah, that didn't go too well. Dwight Howard, nope, that didn't go too well either. Uh, And then it's uh, Carmelo Anthony, (laughs) well, he was off the team after 10 games. Brandon Ingram was kind of headed for being on there, but then actually had a really nice close to the year before he went down uh, with that dvt and hopefully he'll be all right he can build on that for next year demarcus cousins i think he's been about what would have been expected i'd say maybe a little bit better uh he hasn't really had any like attitude or conditioning problems you would say and i also said blake griffin and while the news on his knee is kind of troubling we'll talk about that later he had an awesome year so that was totally wrong but i think i went about seven for ten there in that group but 
I missed the player who I actually ended up the two players who I would say were most disappointing first Anthony Davis and second Chris Paul but AD would be the the one to just and yeah again I don't blame him for making that trade request I never blame players for trying to do what's best for their careers but if we're just talking about how the contributions he had on the court this year towards helping the New Orleans Pelicans win games versus what was expected uh, I think he would have to be my most disappointing that's totally a fair choice I, I had I actually had 13 guys listed I will not go through all of them (laughs) on my preseason. My number one was Kevin Love. I don't even really know how to calibrate that based on what ended up happening uh, well, for him I, this I season. I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I think people were really. I mean, health is the thing that people always just underrate, in my opinion. And when a guy stays healthy and you know he's good, you can look really stupid for making a prediction based on health. But so many times, player or players, fans, organizations choose to take the rosiest possible outcome with a player's health, and you just you can't do that. So I will only go through the players on this that you did not mention Aaron Gordon he's had a better year than I anticipated especially being a part of their defense Kyle Anderson ding 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 Goran Dragic unfortunately due to injury that was right Devin Booker has been better than I anticipated he really has shown growth especially with the ball in his hands Larry Nance Jr just kind of a weird flat flat year for me with him Alfred Payton I I don't really know other than his his triple double binge I I didn't I he's hard to calibrate Wayne Ellington yeah I think that ended up being right a weird year for him PJ Tucker totally wrong and then Schroeder I I think I was more right on this I mean this is really it's it's funny because the people who overrated him going into the season probably still do but I mean with with what they acquired him to do he absolutely failed I mean they wanted somebody who could be a who could be a a real solid backup point guard at minimum spot starter which I think he's done okay there and then ideally be in the closing five and I would say he's gone one out of three in terms of value adds who did you go with for your actual most disappointing player? So I didn't pick Davis, but I do think that's a good call. I just didn't really think about him in that same thing. I ended up going with somebody who I was high on more so than other people, and that's OG Ananobi. I just thought this could be the opportunity for him to really take a step forward. Pascal Siakam largely took that role, you know, the other forward spot next to Kawhi Leonard. And it might just be that this is kind of like a, a misstep or some, you know, kind of like a, like getting out of the blocks a little bit poorly and then he'll be better moving forward. But I just you know, I had this vision of him being a part of this modern new AG, even potentially with Siakam at the five, you know, go OG Siakam and, and Kawhi at the three, four, five and whatever configuration you want. And he just didn't have that good a year. So that was, that was disappointing for me. And because it didn't appear, and maybe I'm just forgetting something. And if so, I apologize that it was particularly health related. And so for me, that's a little bit different than like, let's say, you know, with Chris Paul, he didn't look right at the beginning of the year. He's doing okay now. Davis is his own thing, obviously. And so for me, that that's kind of more of what I want to look for rather than somebody like kevin love who just didn't play so do you say og wasn't health related uh, you kind of cut out here on my crappy hotel internet um i i so that's my memory is that it was more just him not playing well than him yeah. being hurt I, I think he's had some injuries and also uh, with the the death in the family it does seem like there's been some issues about him getting going i also think they're going to really need him at some point yeah they in might the playoffs yeah uh, that he's going to have to play a larger role against a, a boston or golden state um or even maybe the box too maybe uh, him matching up against Giannis would be very interesting to me okay that finishes everything that we did a prediction on dunk of the year 
and we are running a little short on time here so it, were there any in these last because we haven't done this in a while actually are there any in these last couple of months that really stood out to you before we select the dunk of the year yeah i'll go through a couple briefly um kevin knox on ben simmons i thought that was a really a really nice that was off a pass from deandre nice one Jeff Green just nuking Dragon Bender, dunk I really enjoyed. Derek Jones on Vooch and Marquise Chris over Jared Allen. Oh man, I can't. I, something about Marquise Chris just makes my eyes glaze over. Uh, the Nikola Vucevic on DJ Wilson. Ooh, I that was nice. These, I love these dunks where the guy who's challenging tries to get his chest on him and jumps late, but the dunker has actually jumped first and almost like the guy's trying to get to the top of a jump and then he just runs at the dunker and just gets knocked down uh as he's trying to jump that's what happened on that one the joel Embiid euro step dunk on his former teammate rashawn holmes mm-hmm. i had that knocks on simmons one as well bam out alley-oop on kevin durant yeah that was nice and, oh, oh, oh yeah. one other one i want to mention from this luca dunking on paul Millsap on what could have been a game winner except that Jokic ended up hitting that turnaround to he, win it he got Plumley and Millsap on that one yeah that was that was really that that'll I, I didn't yeah that was a really nice dunk oh and one i want to mention just because i think it amused both of us i think we might have been doing the nba cast or something for this was what i called the slow-mo poster which was brooke lopez with the ball and then dar and he was kind of doing like a slow fast break and then slowed down and got dario Saric. it was just glorious i, I don't think uh, we were doing the nba cast for that one. Oh, and then the other one that has to be mentioned is the bam out of bio to Derek jones jr crazy alley-oop throw oh in. oh that that's that's in a separate category for me i wanted to talk about that in the actual award section uh but so my overall dunk of the year and perhaps i'm partial to this just because we were doing the nba cast for it live but demontis sabonis on joel Embiid, just going right through him completely unexpected right down the lane on the pick and roll and just like went right through his chest and you know maybe used his off arm a little bit but you can't really see that until you see the uh, the baseline angle so when you just look at it from just the normal camera that was awesome and i think just because i saw that live and was so fired up about it i I think i'm always gonna be partial to that one but certainly there are many other deserving candidates it's not like last year last year what did we have we had the uh Giannis just jumping over Tim Hardaway yeah I believe so that was yeah yeah, there isn't a clear you know like one of those Blake Griffin on Mozgov you know like those kind of definitive dunks of the season there wasn't really one of those this year so my kind of main group that I was considering so first of all my non-contact dunk of the year was that Derek Jones one-handed alley-oop it was it was a really bad pass. Like it was, I have no idea how he caught it, but then that he finished it one-handed from Bam. That was really impressive. There was also a really nice Terrence Ferguson one off of a wide pass from Westbrook. I like catches alley-oops off of wide passes because it's a really hard angle. Yeah. Bad passes make in. great dunks. Bad passes make great dunks. But then the other one, so my runner-up, my uh, two runner-ups, my sentimental runner-up was his own over Giannis. That was just, that just delighted me, because especially because it came with a step over as well. That was just great. But my actual runner-up was the Marquise Chris dunk over Jared Allen because that dunk got blocked. I love it when a dunk, when, when Jared Allen like did everything right and Mar- and Marquise Chris just put it through his hand, basically. I really like that. But my number one, Sabonis Embiid was great too, but my number one was Paul George over Giannis. First of all, that's I, I like the spectacle of like two guys that at that time were MVP candidates. Giannis ended up being my number two defensive player of the year guy. And it was just a really nice dunk too. So it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't be the dunk of the year in a lot of other years, but it was my favorite. Can I give you a live score update right now? Oh, I've been keeping track. <laughs> Memphis 
with starters of Dale Enright, Tyler Dorsey, and, and not playing these guys that many minutes either, by the way. Tyler Zeller is the starting center for the Grizz right now. I did, I'd forgotten that he was even on their team. Bruno Caboclo and Justin Holiday lead Detroit by 19 at Detroit, with Detroit desperately fighting for the playoffs. Yeah, and at that same moment, Charlotte is tied with Cleveland, and Charlotte would could theoretically be the beneficiary of that of that fall off from Detroit, but they have to actually take care of business too. Obviously, yeah. listeners will have heard what happened in those games. And I'm not watching, but Blake Griffin two points on one of three in 14 minutes after he was five of 18 the other night and did not look good. It seems like they basically were like, okay, hey, you got to come back here with that knee, and it doesn't seem like that's even close to 100. Um, okay, best win. I actually had. Tr- trouble with this one in part because so many teams just completely destroyed the Warriors at Oracle Arena this year that I couldn't I wanted to say oh it's the box uh, oh wait no maybe it's the Raptors oh maybe it's the South and then I was like no I, apparently that was pretty easy to do this year so you can't look at that and, and the Bucks, other than that Warriors game didn't have a signature win I would say they just I had winning. one okay yeah what is it so in January the Bucks beat the Raptors 105-92 that was not the holy game that- shit I picked that one actually. Yeah. So to me, that was the closest. Uh, and Milwaukee's defense in that game was fantastic. That was the one that really, because for me, best win is about making you think about a team differently. Yeah. And that was like, oh, because because we, even though they were a, a, a newly assembled team as well, the Raptors, we kind of knew what they were. And that wasn't the weird game that Giannis and Kawhi both missed. It was the other one. And I thought the Bucks were just excellent in that game. It's like, okay, they're just they're just a great team. Like it wasn't it wasn't any sort of gimmicks or any sort of thing. They're just great. The defense was there. So yeah, that was my pick. And yeah, I mean, you could the after that, it's basically just like the Bucks killing the Warriors at Oracle, the Raptors killing the Warriors at Oracle, the Celtics killing the Warriors at Oracle. Uh, you have a lot, of, a lot of those types of wins as well. And theoretically, I, I guess you could put one here that uh, this isn't one I included on my list, but it was one that was a reminder for me was when the Warriors played OKC in OKC and just shut them down. Like, and that was that was the first game when the Warriors really brought back their fastball defensively. I was like, oh yeah, okay, they're fine. That was yeah, that mean, was really that game. And I kind of wanted to say the Warriors actually at the Bucks without Draymond Green after Curry I think had just come back at that point and they held the Bucks to 95 points in that game really bad three-point shooting but I mean the Warriors it's tough for me to ever pick something by them because they're expected to win worst loss was a far easier and more entertaining category for me I went with the Mutiny game Chicago losing by 56 points at home to the Boston Celtics Jim Boylan calling for practice the night after uh, or the day after a back-to-back his famous comment about how he didn't want to double lose by playing his starters and that's part of why they ended up getting blown out by 56 and then also having them not being able to practice the next day and then uh zach levine led a movement to not show up and larry Markinen and robin lopez were like hey we should at least show up and you know maybe we'll refuse to practice and then uh it of course all got into the media as well so uh yeah that w- when you lose badly enough to spark a potential player mutiny that is my worst loss of the season and also just happened to be the worst numerical loss of the season as well. that was my runner-up 
to the Cavs losing by 22 to the Hawks, the game that basically got Ty Lue fired. It didn't happen immediately, but it did happen. And it's worth remembering because the Hawks have been much better recently. This was the pre-John Collins Hawks when they were just terrible. When they were, you know, Trey Young was figuring it out. That was, I believe that game was in, it was uh, was probably in October. It was either October or November, but yeah. Atlanta had not. That was the third game of the season. Third game of the season. So that was in October. Yeah. So so for me, I mean, it gets a coach fired. It was an indicator of how bad Cleveland's defense was going to be which ended up becoming it wasn't a huge storyline this season but it's something that will be like we'll look back years from now and be like holy crap like look how bad their defense was and i'll, I'll go through some of my other honorable mentions because they were like it's worth remembering just like how many ridiculous games there are boston losing at home to the knicks by eight in a game that trey burke dropped 29 points denver losing to phoenix without devin booker Gary Harris and Will Barton were out in that game. And then the Jazz absolutely getting destroyed by the Dallas Mavericks. That was, I think that was a game they lost by like 30 or something like that early in the season. And I just couldn't figure out what the hell happened. That was one where I think I just, I was doing other stuff or was, you know, not watching games that night. And I just saw the score and just couldn't figure out what happened. Yeah, the Spurs giving up a a 20 point comeback to the Bulls in San Antonio. That wasn't too great. But I think the other one that has to be mentioned is Golden State losing at the Clippers. That's the dream on K. Game where if they had taken care of business in that game and they came in like you know 14 and 2, Curry didn't play obviously, but if they had taken care of business in that game, then maybe that incident never happens. Clearly, there are some simmering issues that uh, people needed to get out there, but uh, clearly, the amount of drama that that exposed and that pretty much seemed to cement maybe even more than some of the reporting afterwards this idea that KD would in fact be leaving and. The Warriors went into a little bit of a funk after that, too, of course. It got completely destroyed right after that in Houston. Uh, best game of the season? I definitely have some bias here, considering I was at this game. But Warriors-Rockets on January 3rd, that was the game that Chris Paul missed and Harden dropped 44, 10, and 15 on the Warriors and hit the completely insane game winner over Draymond and Clay. It was it was one of the more memorable games that wasn't a playoff game that I've seen in person. It was r- really fun. And I believe the Rockets had a comeback in the fourth quarter to even get it to overtime. And it was just a was, 20 was, point game, I think, in like the first half. Yeah. And so that, that was yeah. for me. And, and it was a reminder of like, it, I mean, for a long time, it looks like that could be one of James Harden's best MVP moments. And then it's also a reminder of how long the season is that even though that occurred in 2019 it doesn't get brought up that much because of everything that happens after that and some of my other nominees there was that crazy Detroit Philly game when Blake Griffin went absolutely crazy and then what was I think it was my game of the month in like November or something like that was there was Boston and Indiana Kyrie Irving and Victor Oladipo I think traded three potentially game-winning shots in the final minute final 30 seconds of that game and I just loved that one that was I think elite one of my league pass like special games of this year all right, final category, not executive of the year. Who did you have here? I, I had five people. I couldn't limit it to just three, but. So I, I only had three, so I'm going to be interested to see who your who yours were. I'll go from I'll go from three to one. Three for me was Kobe Altman. Altman did make some good moves during the season in terms of taking on bad money for contracts. Those were facilitated by Dan Gilbert's willingness to spend, but that, that part mitigates it. But the extensions to Kevin Love and to Larry Nance, both of those, like, I mean, think about if they could just have walked away from a lot of that kind of stuff even though it's not like they would it would cure everything that ails them at least their books would be a lot cleaner so that that to me was it was an unforced error and so that's why it did that ryan mcdonough is my number two he doesn't even have a job anymore he (laughs) 
did uh, and it was an awful use of cap space drafting DeAndre Ayton over Luka even with Booker showing more with the ball in his hands they gave up Miami's unprotected first round pick to get Mikael Bridges I thought Mikael Bridges had a good year but that's a lot to move up you know to 10 to to give that up and a, 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 another pick the pick that became Zaire Smith and but then my number one the dynamic duo of Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka they got LeBron James. Congratulations. They screwed everything else up other than getting JaVale McGee for the minimum and, you know, maybe a few other kind of marginal things. But the theory of it, and this is another, uh, for people who haven't read Bill Orem's piece, going, th- like, he goes back and has quotes, like, from Magic Johnson at Summer League about what they were, what the plan was for this team and the idea. And that's the part that's far scarier to me than the results is that they thought this was going to work. It wasn't just necessity being the mother of a really shitty invention it was a bad plan from the jump despite starting with the guy who we who we spent the you know at the beginning of this year we thought was the best player in the league there was for a time the results for the lakers actually were pretty good they were drafting well with magic and palinka the lou williams trade they made was pretty good i thought that the russell trade made a lot of sense at the time they did well to get brooke lopez it seemed like they were on the come after last year but you also had things like rob palinka has absolutely zero experience doing this job and nobody likes him you would hear that you would hear that magic johnson hired this celebrity trainer as their strength coach there is the years and years and years that magic johnson said extremely stupid things on tv and then continued to say extremely stupid things as the lakers president of basketball operations including getting fined for tampering and then the fact that they couldn't even get a meeting with paul george and yeah they got lebron that was part of the plan but then what they did afterwards clearly revealed that the emperor has no clothes and not only are were all of the moves bad we've talked about them ad nauseum but the reporting about how toxic the lakers overall culture is in their front office zach lowe's alluded to this in a way on his podcast that makes me think that he may have a piece on this coming soon orem's piece dave mcmenamin's piece the way they totally bungled the ad stuff with their culture and then some public comments afterwards about that and it just seems like they have no idea what they're doing and that they not only that but magic doesn't really work very hard and they don't talk to any of the people in the organization who actually do work hard we went through both of us going on our little monologues and didn't even mention that they made the least defensible trade of this league year. Oh my God. M- moving Zubac and Beasley for Mike Muscala, a trade that makes zero sense and never did. So who are your other nominees? I'm very interested in this. I'm guessing I'm guessing McDonough and Altman were among your other four. I didn't have Altman. Probably should have. I think the fact that Sexton looked a lot better, if he had just played the same way all year as he played the first two thirds of the season, he could have been right up there. Uh, I had whoever is running the Suns as second. Although I did think they actually did a, a, a solid job with the Ariza trade. And number three, this could be controversial. This A lot of this is forward-looking. Elton Brand slash Brett Brown. And they were dealt a tough hand with Markel Fultz and his issues. I thought the Butler trade was reasonable. I thought they did okay with that. But two things really, I guess three, the inability to get any kind of quality depth this offseason, then the inability to, I mean, their backup center situation is atrocious. They have some players like TJ McConnell, but who just can't fit with the rest of their team, even though they might be an okay player if they had different guys around them. The backup wing situation is rough. They've actually gotten very lucky in terms of health this year. Like JJ Redick, who's barely missed any games at all. Joel Embiid has played a ton of minutes. 
And then the Harris trade, Tobias Harris is a pretty good player. I don't think he was the cure for what ailed them. And then to give up so much for him and not even get back guys who could help their depth. Yeah, you know what? Their top five players look pretty good. I still think that a lot of those players, Redick on defense, Simmons shooting, Harris on defense jimmy butler not really wanting to shoot spot up jumpers either i think those weaknesses are going to really hurt them and then with james ennis out and james ennis was like the best guy they had off the bench when he houston who always needs wings to go against the warriors just traded him away for nothing that's how bad he was in houston and that's he's slide that guy right into your rotation the Fultz trade to give up that matching salary to give up Muscala matching salary and not get back anyone who's going to help you at all this year in that group John Simmons anyone who watched him this year would have known that he was questionable at best to contribute to a playoff level of team and then that Clippers tried to give up as much as they did and you can't get back Patrick Beverly or someone who could help you just a little bit I mean the Clippers traded Avery Bradley who was terrible this year for Garrett Temple and Jamichael Green they basically traded dead salary for those two guys how good would they look if they had those two guys instead of the Clippers having them right now and they could have gotten them essentially for free you know if you throw in a second round pick you probably could have gotten those guys now granted they had the matching salary issue but still they could at least gotten one of those dudes with Mascala and apparently they thought the buyout market was really going to go in their favor it did not they didn't get anyone good there at all Greg Monroe is on the team now but they either completely misread that and it's just given all the stuff that they've given up and the fact that the plan is apparently all right we're really going to go for it this year but then to not actually have a bench and have that be what kills you because you just don't have NBA quality sixth seventh and eighth men and that's just that's terrible like and now they have nothing left to improve the team going forward they have negative draft pick equity going forward now uh i guess they got that that weird okc pick back from orlando but you know that i don't think that's worth a ton at this point so yeah i mean i think for a lot of people oh you know they're they're the number four seed but i mean they're a clear i think fourth in this eastern conference hierarchy right now and maybe they'd be higher if they actually had some guys off the bench i like what of what bringing them up also because of thinking about what they gave up to get the team that they have now i mean because this was you know covington and Sharich in in the Butler trade but then these draft picks Shamit all those pieces that could have could have gone in something else and remember Tobias Harris is an unrestricted free agent this summer that they could have potentially signed if they're going to get I mean granted giving him five years instead of four is makes it more likely that he will resign and the players you know maybe less with Jimmy Butler just because of the way such circumstances are like I think Tobias Harris is going to get paid this year I think he'll get a significant amount and so they they like gave up a lot of leverage there and it's not like to me maybe maybe it's just because we haven't seen those guys together that much and and they have been very the Sixers have been very good in those minutes when the the five guys have played together as limited as they have been but this was a strange year also to load up in terms of the immediate because we knew the Bucks and Raptors looked really good like this was not you know an open an open Eastern Conference and they're just sitting there like oh my god if we get these guys together we're we're a lock to make the finals that was never the case especially not when they made the Tobias Harris trade yeah and now when you trade for these guys you're basically trading for them on which you alluded to this huge contract that's going to be a bad contract going forward so and yeah those guys will contribute but you have to pay a lot in luxury tax to keep them and hey no matter how much money you're willing to pay them they could of course still leave i also uh dishonorable mention for ernie grunfeld now fired and part of this of course is ted leonsis i think his public comments indicated that it was kind of playoffs or bust 
And so he may have been responding to the incentives that his owner provided. But to make the win now move, give up Kelly Oubre, who actually could have been useful and maybe they could have actually afforded to re-sign as well. He had some moments with the Suns. He's a young player. The one guy that they didn't just trade away a first-round pick and actually were able to use one in like the last four years to just give him up for Ariza, who did not really help their playoff push. And then they ended up punting and giving up on Alport, which I think was the right move for them, given where they were and their tax concerns but as it turned out like not having an overall plan and yeah John Wall went down for the season and blah blah but it was clear that this team was not going to be if they squeaked into the eighth seed that would have been lucky even at the time you also didn't you also didn't mention though injuries made it worse that it sound it seems to me like Dwight Howard gave up so much in a buyout because he was getting so much from the Wizards and part of the reason the Wizards gave him so much for 1819 was so they could give him a more lucrative player option for 1920 yeah and also Tom Thibodeau not trading Jimmy Butler in the summer letting him be this massive distraction Carl Anthony Towns clearly played worse as a result of having him around and they start four and nine because you know perhaps they do a lot better and maybe Tibbs still has a job if he just trades Butler earlier but he was uh in denial um we got to do a little news here but anything you wanted to talk about that you've been working on before we get started with that yeah my off-season preview series for the athletic is going strong i've done the pelican the pelicans and the lakers have already come out i'm going to have five this week and then the other remaining non-playoff non-top five lottery teams those will come out next week during the playoffs and then it will continue with the one teams as they basically as they are eliminated within a couple days depending on when that editorial staff wants that piece and i'll have a real jam radio pretty soon i haven't figured out exactly what i'm going to do with it yet and yeah and then oh and i I have some warrior stuff i did a, a, a kind of a playoff scenario thing for them and then i'm going to have another piece coming out i think that'll probably be thursday or friday it's not a playoff preview it's going to be about a kind of a lineup theory idea that i've been working on for a couple weeks Okay, let's hit the news. Sean Sharania reporting that the NBA has updated salary cap and tax levels unchanged in 2019-20, $109 million cap. That is scheduled to be an increase of about $8 bucks and $132 million luxury tax. That'll give teams a lot of breathing room, but $2 million lower in the following season. There was slated to be a, another $9 million increase. Now it's only $7 million increase. I had wondered where this big increase is supposed to be coming from other than just the national tv deal and 141 million dollar anticipated luxury tax level for that season doesn't affect a lot although maybe a little bit troubling that it could be a sign of things to come of revenue not growing quite as much as anticipated but for a league that had basically a flat salary cap throughout much of the 2000s just having it go up less than anticipated but still you know over five percent per year you can't complain too much about that uh, in brooklyn alan crab finally had knee surgery on that troublesome knee that he'd been dealing with throughout the season did make a comeback it was playing a little bit and then apparently suffered a setback and it looks like Kenny Atkinson and his staff and Sean Marks will both receive contract extensions with the news that perhaps Joseph Tsai is going to take over as early as this summer presumably and he's already 49% owner of the team presumably he was on board with all that so it appears that they have nothing to fear from the new owner and they've clearly done an excellent job and well-deserved extensions for both Marks and Atkinson and the staff. In Houston 
Mike D'Antoni is has been hospitalized with an intestinal virus since Friday, and Bezdelic has been serving as the interim head coach. It sounds like D'Antoni will be released from the hospital to, on Tuesday, and then will rejoin the Rockets for the playoffs. That's really good news. They also we should mention Houston set the a new NBA record. They made 27 threes against the Phoenix Suns, and also they did. I, it's not quite the Hinky special. Maybe it's the Maury special. They gave Michael Frazier and Chris Chuiza three-year deals where the two years after this one are non-guaranteed. That is the the offer that they made to Daniel House before they made the other offer that was fully guaranteed, and then he held firm on just having a one-year deal. A couple of pieces of news for the LA Clippers. They are getting Patrick Beverly and Danilo Gallinari back for their finale on Wednesday, which is going to have significant seating implications. It looks like, not 100% sure, but it looks that way. Beverly's been dealing with a hip issue, Gallo with, with an ankle, and they used they were able to claim Rodney Magruder off of waivers. Miami, by doing so, they get out of the luxury tax entirely for the 2018-19 season. And what the Clippers get is uh, they get a choice, basically. So they have Magruder's early bird rights. And if they want to, they can ex- they can do a qualifying offer. Albert Namad has it at $3 million. So they can if they give him that $3 million offer, that is a guaranteed contract. He could theoretically sign it. But also that can, he, then they have match rights on Magruder. Or they could just keep him as an unrestricted free agent with the $1.6 million cap hold, and then they would have early bird rights. So depending on what kind of structure they do, that that gives them the ability to re-sign him, or they could just let him go for nothing. Like that is also, of course, an option that is on the table. Yeah, I, I think perhaps this is one where Magruder's agent was able to send him to the Clippers, and yeah, he's not going to be able to play in the playoffs, but maybe that's where he wanted to go. And and I thought that teams like, say, the Sixers, for example, missed it. Like how good would Magruder look in a Sixers uniform right now? I, I, it seemed like he could have been had for a second round pick and with that low capital he wouldn't have impacted any of the Sixers summer plans again I think a lot of teams you know he would look good on Denver right now there I think there's a lot of teams that failed in acquiring him especially given the low capital and yeah he didn't play as well as early in the season but he's a reasonable shooter and a reasonable defender on the wing and a little undersized to guard the best guys but still uh I, I thought it was a missed chance and another win for that Clippers front office that you cut out again slightly, but in Houston, the some reporting from David Weiner of sorry if it's, if it's Weiner, I've only ever seen it in print uh, from ClutchFans.net that the publicly reported luxury tax numbers for Houston are off and that they are in fact not in danger of going over the tax even if Clint Capella does make that free throw bonus and Albert Namad suggesting that maybe there was some kind of an accommodation made with the 10-day contract of James Nunnally where the Rockets had to pay more money because the league didn't process the Carmelo Anthony trade until after a weekend was over. It's also been suggested that maybe Gary Clark doesn't count as much towards the tax because he was converted from a two-way, although and this is getting really into the weeds here, since he wasn't actually a draft pick, there is some question about that. I know you'll be waiting with bated breath uh, when it actually gets reported what precisely the variance is, but it didn't make sense that Houston would have exposed themselves to it, especially with uh, the rather tax-averse ownership there. What else we got? So Josh Richardson had that scary fall. I think we talked about that on a on a previous Dunked On, and for, the good news is there was no, there was no like structural damage, but he could 
could miss two weeks. One of those weeks is is concluding relatively soon, and Miami's making their push for the playoffs, but so they'll have to do it without Josh Richardson, and then theoretically, I think he, the expectation would be that if they make the playoffs, that he will miss at least the start of that first round series. The Pelicans have been interviewing people. I believe Danny Ferry was was the last interview today, so they've, they've had a list of about six candidates. The names that I've seen, uh, Jeff Duncan, I think, was the first one to report this. Ferry, David Griffin, Larry Harris, Trajan Langton, Garrison Rosas, and um, Tommy Shepard. That seems like all of them all of them have, have done interviews, or at least close to that list. Shepard is, is the interim GM in Washington, so he might be the least likely. I don't know what his situation is right now. So that's that's the Pelican situation. Yeah, and frankly, that, that's not a bad list. Yeah, it's a good list. In Oklahoma City, this isn't a surprise, but uh, Royce Young report, reported that. Dan, Billy Donovan, I think, just said it at a thing, so I just Royce is the one who I saw tweet it. That Billy Donovan said that there's no indication from the team's medical staff that Robertson is anywhere near a return to game action. They had hoped to get him playing with the Blue, their G League team, but that did not happen, and the Blue season is over now. So that really sucks. I mean, it's a lost year for Robertson, who could have, you know, they've had a really good defense for most of the season. There have been some slip-ups as the schedule got harder, obviously, without him, but somebody who just could make a difference in certain situations at the bare minimum and not having him. It did force them to kind of try. I think Terriers Ferguson has had a better season than I anticipated, and so they've gotten more opportunities, but it's just uh, it just sucks for Robertson, who's been snake bit for for at moments in his career to just have this what's been happening with him with the original injury and setbacks. So remember when I I posited that maybe Gail Benson might be an upgrade on what had been going on in New Orleans recently, where uh, before Tom Benson's death, we had uh, ranked him as uh, one of the least effective owners in the league and compared that list of candidates in New Orleans with the process in Phoenix, where it appears that Jeff Bauer, who did not exactly cover himself in glory as Stan Van Gundy's right-hand man and day-to-day general manager in Detroit, will now join up under James Jones. No indication that anyone else even interviewed other than Bauer. Maybe they did. I'm not saying they didn't, but there wasn't an indication. And uh, But never fear, Danny, because Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald was involved in the meetings with Bauer. So... Uh, clearly uh, there's plenty of expertise here in the hiring process what a joke ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the nba it, it just is and sarver in various different capacities i mean to to look at what james jones has done i mean there hasn't really even been that much of a track record for him and say oh what we're hiring in an executive is somebody who is an advisor to james jones is is crazy like yeah sure you can give you can give him an opportunity you can interview and there aren't that many gm jobs even if people don't want to work for Robert Sarver, and I presume that there are a fair number of people who would not. There are only so many jobs, and the Suns have some real power. You know, like they have, they have some real choices to make here, even if the the money that they have owed to various players. And to basically say, oh yeah, that's the structure that we're going with is that you know is is James Jones and then Bauer. It it's just a reminder that if I'm going to p- pick the Suns to perform to general expectations, like going into an off season, no, I'm going to pick the I'm going to say they're going to do worse than than a, a quote-unquote average team because that's just the way this works yeah you say that ownership is the greatest competitive advantage i think maybe an even more accurate way to say it is that ownership is the biggest competitive disadvantage in the nba i think you know having a bottom five owner to me hurts you a lot more than the advantage you get from having a top five owner there's only so much that an owner can do and you still you still have to get lucky in the draft and and have guys work out and stuff 
you know, I mean, the Warriors, yeah, I think their ownership is pretty good. They've done a nice job, but they still had to get lucky and have their scouting department pick some of the best guys and, you know, even have those guys turn out way better than their scouts thought they would. So I, mean, I think ownership can only take you so far, but bad ownership can sink you no matter what else you do. And uh, yeah, that seems to have happened in Phoenix. There are a lot of Knicks fans that are not in Glumly right now. Yeah, well, we'll see. This this uh, summer will this be, will be a great test of, of, of that. CJ McCollum returned on Sunday didn't play quite as normal minutes I didn't see the game his stats were middling and good to see Yusuf Nurkic despite his injury the 50th win for Portland says Bobby Marks earns Nurkic 1.25 million he had to appear in a minimum of 70 games and have the Blazers win 50 games and the team will now pay an additional 2.2 million towards the luxury tax and in Utah, looking like Ricky Rubio is going to miss the rest of the regular season, the latest word on him is this left quad contusion will leave him out of Tuesday's game against the Nuggets, which that's certainly a concern. He's also had myriad hamstring issues uh, until, uh, including one in the last week or so where he, he had to miss a game. And uh, this quad contusion, he, he missed Friday's game against the Kings or had to leave Friday's game against the Kings. And Donovan Mitchell is capable of playing point guard. They don't have anyone else though who can handle the ball it falls to joe ingles afterwards and the offense generally has been better with mitchell at shooting guard despite his own individual numbers looking better at point guard uh what else we got here on the injury front harry giles won't play the rest of the year due to a thigh contusion and john isaac this is concerning he is in the concussion protocol he got hit in the jaw on sunday he will not play in orlando's last regular season game on wednesday we don't know about his availability for the playoffs orlando has clinched a spot and one of the guys who will play for them in those playoffs is michael carter williams the magic had had carter williams on a 10 day and they waved Isaiah Briscoe to do it. And why that's significant is because Briscoe had two more non-guaranteed seasons remaining. So if they had wanted to, you know, even though Briscoe was unavailable for the remainder of this year because he he is injured, they could have, you know, had him at that, at I believe the minimum for the next two years. So that's a pretty big choice by them to, to say that they want that they want Michael Carter-Williams so much in the rotation that they're going to do so. Uh, they have like a 10 net rating with him on the floor. <laughs> Isn't that just amazing? He's been one of the the worst net rating players in the NBA. and that will do it uh, we may have more here if anything big happens tonight w- with the results pistons back within 14 daddy and the knicks are up 20 at late in the first quarter over the bulls all right that's uh, now that we're talking about that it's it's time to get going here but maybe we'll have a little bit more but if we don't we'll talk to you tomorrow night when we can talk about the last day of the regular season and maybe get into actually previewing the long-awaited playoffs every day our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.